All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am Jay Taylor, your host, and I'm talking to you from the Borough of Queens in New York City. This is the 8th day of February 2022. And we do want to thank all of you for listening to this show and making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. Also, invite you to continue sending along whatever comments you have about this show. We'd like to hear from our listeners. Also, I do want to thank our sponsors. They are the ones that make this show economically viable. Novo Resources, Aloro Resources, Hannon Metals, Irving Resources, Lion One Metals, SK Mining Corp, Firefox Gold, and Timberline Resources. Well, many of you are avid fans of Michael Oliver, who is not with us today. So before I talk about today's show, let me just uh, say that Michael's weekend missive, uh, in that missive, he demonstrated that if gold can close out this week at a price above 1812, uh, there will be no need from his point of view and from his work uh, to remain cautious uh, and to pose a cautious trading strategy with respect to gold. Now, shortly before showtime, I checked the markets, and the cash market was 1828. But, of course, there are three and a half days left this week, and we know how quickly the major bullion banks can slam the price of gold down by 20, 30, 40, 50 bucks, but just by throwing huge amounts of uh, futures uh, contracts into the market. So uh, we'll hold our breath and uh, keep our fingers crossed uh, for a rise in the price of gold over 1812 by the end of this week. I've titled today's show, Helping President Biden Understand Inflation. Alistair McLeod, Quentin Henning, and Chen Lin are this week's guests. The Keynesian religion has been taught to every college student in America and Europe in recent decades. But that religion is based on lies such as, you can consume more than you produce and get rich by doing so, or capital has no time value. Since getting rich without working is widely appealing to human beings, the very opportunistic President Nixon removed gold from money and declared, we are all Keynesians now. By so doing, he paved the way for an American debt-funded spending orgy that only now is leading to an exponential rise in consumer prices and interest rate increases that will inevitably follow suit no matter what the Fed does. It, will, it, will, it is uh, certain to send us into uh, some very serious economic problems no matter what the Fed does. Now, Austrian economists counter the Keynesian religion, uh, but actually the Kool-Aid drinking in Americans and Western European policymakers do not. Hence, policies will continue to double down on the side of pathological uh, practices that are leading the Western world to the precipice, I believe, of financial ruin. Alistair, um, Alistair McLeod 
will explain why, given ongoing Keynesian policies, inflation and interest rates are inevitably headed to levels which, even if only moderately higher, are going to cause our existing monetary system a great deal of trouble. He will also explain why any legitimate reset of our present monetary regime will have to be grounded not on cryptocurrencies, which are, in effect, just another form of money, but rather on monetary metals. Now, Quentin Henning will be with me right after our first commercial break to update us on some very exciting new drill results from Lion One's Tuvato project in Fiji. These suggest a far larger, rich gold deposit than was initially envisioned by the company several years ago. Quentin will also comment on some very important news uh, that came out just this morning uh, for Lion One. But right now, I'm really happy to tell you that Chen Lin is with me once again to give us his thoughts on some of the key markets. Thanks for joining me, Chen. Thank you, James. Glad to be here. It's uh, good to have you. Uh, what are your thoughts on gold? Yeah, very, very interesting point. Uh, we are getting uh, close to the Fed raising interest rate in March. You know, right now it's February. And uh, I'm, I'm still a little bit cautious, even, you know, uh, your, your friend Oliver said, you know, they may break out uh, because part of it because it's a uh, uh, Ukraine situation, right? They uh -huh. probably prop up the gold. I think the uh, Biden administration probably trying to, you know, push for a war. So they distract the you know, people from inflation. That's I read. Okay, so from, uh -huh. I've been to Ukraine. I have company invest in Ukraine. It doesn't look like going to break out, but of course, uh, our administration want to see it or at least distract people from. Uh -huh. So I think that may be an um, overplay. Okay, today mm -hmm. you already see the Palladian uh, drop so because the market already thinks there's no war, but anyway. Uh -huh. but our, so if that's coming, if Ukraine quiet down, then gold may take a little hit. I mean, that mm -hmm. uh, can come in the next few weeks. So mm -hmm. obviously nobody wants to see a war there. So uh -huh. anyway, so that's my sense. Uh, so that's why I'm a little bit cautious. Plus, the junior mm -hmm. market has been extremely bad lately. Yep. Mm -hmm. And but I'm still investing. Okay, I'm getting a big dividend check this week from Power and uh, yes. part of the money uh -huh. will be earmarked for for juniors, right? So some already talking to a few companies, going to some you know some pre-IPO, maybe some you know on the market. Mm -hmm. And so that that's my take. I think uh, because when I think when the gold moves, I believe later this year when they move, it will be very quick. So for juniors, you want just a good project with good prospect, you're going to take position and then hold mm -hmm. on to the shares. Mm -hmm. Well, I know, Chen, in the past how I felt, um, you know, you sit in a, in a dead market like we're in now for, for long periods of time, and then all of a sudden gold takes off and you say, Oh man, why didn't I buy some of those uh, shares when they were half the price they are now? Because they can go very quickly, as you know. The gold shares can also take off very dramatically. So we look for good projects with fundamentals, and of course, we'll be talking to Quentin Henning in the second segment about one that I think is very good. But what about uh, the biotech chain? Uh, might you employ some of those uh, dividends from Pan Orient into one or two or three or more of your biotechs? Yeah, exactly. So I found that I know biotech actually follow the Chinese zodiac very, very well. And the last year, the beginning of the year of Ox was absolutely peak of biotech and small cap. I mean, I talked to a lot of people, a lot of fund managers, those say that last year, the Chinese New Year was the peak. And then the one year later, this year of Tiger came. 
the biotech index was cut in half, and 60% reportedly were shorted. So on oh. the index, okay, XBI. So uh, it was so down so hard. I think it's a great opportunity. I and mean, very hard to pick the bottom, but right now I believe, as I said in my newsletter, it's similar to the spring, maybe of 2002, maybe a spring of 2009, and spring of 2020. So it's one of those uh, very darkest moments. Mm-hmm. And if you have a long-term view, you believe all oh, these uh, diseases going need to be cured, mm-hmm. and uh, that there's a bright future for biotechs. I mean, this morning Pfizer CEO said they're going to deploy their COVID money to to. I mean, they hinted you know they're going to de- uh, acquire more companies. Reportedly, more than one trillion dollar from big farmer are looking to oh. buy biotech. So, uh, you know, I, I right now, I mean, because everything is done, I just looking for the best of the best. The company with you know the drug with more than one billion sales potential, some with breakthrough that can change you know the the mankind as we know it. I invest in those that put money in and put my chips in for ten bagger or for other multi bagger. And I have like a five little tigers for me, five tigers for the year of tiger. We'll see. So, <laughs> yeah. and then I think you followed uh, Tricida and yes. Amaris, all these uh, of my five tigers. Uh, tri- two companies doing quite differently in the past few uh, few months. Uh, Tricida doing extremely well and almost tripled. I, I think it's still very, very cheap, okay, considered with its potential to be the largest selling drug in the world, okay, the CKD, that's, that the approval is next year, it's going to take some time, but the market cap is only 500 something, you know, million, so it's very, very cheap. And Amorous, uh, another stock I really like, and I hope uh, it stay low. <laughs> I'm going to get a, a big dividend check this, this week, and then I'll try to add a little bit more. Uh, because, uh, you know, if you look at Amherst, there is an article came out uh, uh, seeking offer that has extraordinary details of this company. Mm-hmm. Some actually is not public knowledge, but they right, say the board is considering share buyback. So I, I'm kind of wondering if maybe, you know, the, the, you know, the people, large shareholders are trying to push the share down before the March, you know, early March earnings. So uh-huh. that to force the board to buy back shares. I mean, uh-huh. because last time they raised, they planned to raise 400 million, but actually they raised 690. You know, with all the fees, whatever, they have actually 250 million. Uh, they announced they're going to build another plant in Brazil, 80 million. With all the inflation, maybe 100 million. So he has 150 million left, but he said he's going to expand to Europe, right? He, likely he will build another, have a processing plant, another, you know, production plant, processing plant, distribution center in Portugal, likely because the CEO is from Portugal. So that's maybe 50 million. I think, you know, he has a, at least a hundred million left. He can do share buyback if he want to. So that that's uh, that's a key. And I invite people to read that article in Seeking Alpha, published mm-hmm. last week in Amherst. Carefully, uh, yeah. I think that has a lot of uh, in-depth information from Amherst. Uh, so I, I really good. like it. And mm-hmm. then we discussed briefly before the show. It's mm-hmm. cash level. My, by my calculation, after last race. About two fifty, okay, maybe somewhere between two to three dollars. We'll see. So it's very hard to imagine the stock would drop that low, right? Between to, towards cash. So I think three dollar and change right now is 
probably as good as we can get. So, uh, yeah. so I'm I'm quite optimistic, and uh, I'm looking to buy more at this uh, this price. I hope it stays this, so I can buy more this this month. Yeah, Amherst is selling at three dollars ninety-seven cents just now. I saw on my screen AMRS, and they're involved with synthetic chemistry, right? They're able to replicate molecules that are in nature without without having to exploit. Uh, Let's say exactly, for, for environmental exactly. reasons. They can yeah. get, get into the sea uh, cannabis. They can do all this squalling. I mean, last time it went to $20. Why is it? Because he demonstrated he sells three molecules and it got $650 million, right? So it's like uh, then they have 20 molecules and then 20 in the pipeline. So people can calculate the worth quite a few billion. And right mm-hmm. now it's still true. Even the stock is down to $1 billion. You know, it's just a weird situation uh, with all these market. As I said, uh, I think a lot of biotech uh, so wiped out. Uh, right now, it's like the spring of uh, 2009, you know, uh-huh. 07, mm-hmm. 09, 03, you know, or 2020, spring of 2020 after mm-hmm. COVID. Those are extremely depressed, the share price. Mm-hmm. So if you have any long-term point of view, uh, mm-hmm. you can hold the stock for a year. I think mm-hmm. it's, it's time to put your money to work, right? So uh, those right. are the two of my tigers. I'm very optimistic yeah. of them. Those are two of your five tigers in the year of the tiger, I guess. That's why you call them your tigers. I uh, just should mention that Triceda, TCDA is a symbol, trades at 1037 now. I just saw on my on my screen. Uh, Triceda uh, is involved with a, a, a putting a drug, creating a drug that is designed to, I think, slow down at least kidney disease, right? Isn't that what they're doing? Right, right. For dialysis and kidney transplant, for mm-hmm. all these are very, very uh, unfortunate people who have to go through that. And mm-hmm. then they are very unique drop can uh, reduce renal, renal acid. And uh-huh. They already demonstrate that. And they try to apply for uh, a salary approval. And then the FDA say, no, you have to demonstrate uh, it can, you know, it can improve. So they, they have this trial. They're going to stop in Q2 very soon, right? And then read out in Q3. So if they demonstrate, which I believe they will, if you read carefully the history of this the background, it's almost 99% chance of success. If they demonstrate mm-hmm. reducing renal acid can improve the outcome, which is uh, reduce people in... Um, kidney transplant, et cetera, and go back to FDA. FDA will have no excuse, right? Mm-hmm. So that, right, that's so. the beauty. And then, and then it's a $60 billion market, $60 billion per year market, going to $100 billion in a few years. Mm-hmm. So they will be the only approved drug that covers the broad spectrum. <laughs> you think about it upside. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, right now, market cap is still tiny, you know, $600 yeah. million. Yeah. So yeah. It's, I think a lot yeah. of upside left. Well, relative to the upside, uh, that uh, the size of the market and the potential profits, I would imagine that's, right, that's true. Right, right. Last year, last year I picked up when I was trading in cash, and after I bought, I found Steve Cohen was buying. After then, the Baker brother was buying. All these and well-known hedge fund was buying. So it actually, the stock was doing so well in the past few months. That one of the best performing biotech in the biotech wasteland, right? It's biotech all crashed, but this doing well because the upside is yeah. so big. That yeah. all these hedge funds, they can put like 10 million into this and then sit with it. So they don't care yeah. that this price is too low. 
So now yeah. we're getting to ten dollar. I, I think we're getting interesting. You know, we're waiting for the mm-hmm. results uh, in mm-hmm. in a few months. Mm-hmm. And the probability seems very high. So, and I guess we're looking for the end of the year, uh, maybe for some news on this one, right, Chen? No, it's in Q three. So they Q3. will announce. Okay. They will have announcement this quarter uh, about the stopping up, stopping the trial. Uh, what time they're going to stop? And then next quarter they will stop the trial. The data, top line data, will come out in Q three. So we'll have a lot of movement of this stock in the next uh, six okay. months. Okay. Okay. We'll have to leave it go with that. Chen, thank you so much. And folks, it's ChenPicks.com. Chen just made name two of his five tigers. There's another one or two I would have liked to have time to talk about, but there's no time today. But ChenPicks.com, if you want to really catch up with Chen and keep up to date on a regular basis, go there and sign up for his letter. Thanks, Chen, for being with us. Thank you, Jay. All right, folks, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away. Dr. Quentin Henning will be with me. Uh, He's going to give us an update on Lion One Resources, some exciting news, so you won't want to miss it. Don't go away. Be right back. SK Mining Corp. Trading under the symbol ESK on the TSX Venture and ESKYF on the OTCQB is a mineral exploration company targeting precious metals, rich VMS deposits in the heart of British Columbia's Golden Triangle. SK Mining controls a prospective land package totaling 130,000 acres, which lies across a geologic trend that once hosted the prolific SK Creek Mine. With a world-renowned geological team, funding in place, and shareholders such as Eric Sprott, SK Mining is on the cusp of a world-class discovery. Go to skmining.com to subscribe for updates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back, Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to tell you that Dr. Quentin Henning is with me once again today. He's here this time to talk about another story that I'm really excited about, a company that I think has the potential to be a very large-scale, high-grade gold mine one day, and perhaps not too far into the future at that. Uh, the company is Lion One Metals. Uh, it's a company I've been covering in my newsletter since November 2019. Um, it's also a sponsor to the show, and Quentin is a technical advisor to Lion One. Uh, originally, Lion One had planned a relatively small but high-grade gold mining operation with an indicated resource of something around 468,000 ounces, uh, cutoff grade of about 3 grams per ton, an overall grade of about 9.7 grams was outlined. However, over the past couple of years, management came to realize that the near-surface deposit that they were working on and developing was part of a much larger alkaline gold system. And these gold systems are rare, but when you find one that is mineralized, it can become extremely valuable. And it seems, uh, based on the work that's been done and carried out over the last couple of years, that's exactly what the Tuvatu project seems to be. 
and so well, COVID has slowed down the exploration at Tuvatu somewhat, uh, but the drills are turning now, and we're starting to get some really exciting news. That's why I'm really happy to have Quentin here with me uh, today. Now, before we say hello to to Quentin, uh, I'd just like to tell you that the shares trade in Canada under the symbol LIO. In the U.S., you can buy them as I have under the symbol LOMLF, 156.4 million shares at around 85 cents in U.S. money, giving it a market cap of around $133 million. Welcome, Quentin, and thank you for joining me again. Thank you so much, Jay. It's really good to have you with me. Uh, let me start out asking you uh, to comment on a January 25th news release that was headlined with a drill intercept of 359.8 grams per ton gold over 1.8 meters. I mean, that's quite a hole. Uh, what can you tell our listeners that was learned from that and ongoing exploration that's been taking place at the Tuvatu? Yeah, look, uh, you know, by and large, we have gotten past the whole COVID uh, epoch, I'll call uh-huh. it. Okay. We're, we're drilling away with the all of the rigs we have on site. We've got six rigs on site. Very aggressive program at this point. They're doing a lot of infill drilling. And why? Because they plan to go mining. Okay, so that's the subject of the news release that came out this morning, and I'll talk more about that in a minute. But to address this news release, those results that you mentioned are from the infill drill program. Uh, the infill drill program is exactly what you need to do as you plan development, plan your, your drives and so forth underground to start opening up some of these areas to go mining. And the numbers that are coming back from the infill program are absolutely stellar. They're often much higher grade than the initial resource that was stated for these areas. Uh, we're finding more mineralized structures. They're getting better clarity on exactly how these structures are oriented and and where they should go mining. So it's an absolutely delightful outcome. It's not just that number that you quoted, which, you know, is astounding, but this project keeps delivering high grades. There's like probably a dozen high-grade intercepts listed in that news release alone. Now, the company's also drilling deeper, okay? They're drilling that uh, 500 zone, which is at depth that, you know, if you think of this like a a tree and there's branches coming off and, uh, you know, there is a big high-grade part of the system down at depth. They are uh, routinely drilling holes down into that with some of their deeper capacity drills, and it's, you know, it's just a delight to see that start to, to develop a shape. It's actually expanding very rapidly at this point. So what should we expect in expiration from the, from the company over the next few months? Well, it's uh, going to be a mix of both this infill drilling, uh, delivering outstanding results, but also the, uh, the expiration that they're doing underneath the deposit. And soon they'll do some other drilling. We've developed a number of targets proximal to the deposit which will, I think, open everybody's eyes up to the fact that this is likely going to be a multimillion-ounce system. Mm-hmm. Well, you, uh, this infill drill, drilling, as I understand it, is geared towards a small-scale startup production in the not-too-distant future, potentially. Uh, is Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, that's the subject of today's uh, news release. Uh, just you know, to make it absolutely crystal clear, uh, you and I are recording this on Monday afternoon, but the company's issuing a news release, or has issued it uh, as of the, the airing of this broadcast, mm-hmm. and it it is I, you know I feel guilty, Jay, I really do, because this is such an important news release for this company. It and I get you know I <laughs> I feel bad because I'm the guy that gets to say it first. Okay, uh, you know all respect to Wally. Yes. A team that we've put together there, um, 
you know, it's an honor to talk about this today. Okay, they they've made the the bold decision and they've been working very hard in the background to lay out all the plans to go ahead and develop a mine at Tuvatu. Mm. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this. Okay, uh, Tuvatu is a narrow load, uh, high, very high grade system, as we all know. Uh, and they need to get in there and literally bootstrap a mine. You know, okay, I mean that this is not cowboy green. Well, who do we have in place? We have a guy named Patrick Hickey, who I've known for many years and worked with. He was at Newmont. Uh, he basically built and ran Batu Hijau, one of Newmont's biggest mines, uh, which was located in Indonesia. He okay. also worked for companies like Sumitomo and built Embadabi, which is a uh, nickel operation on Madagascar. And he's look, he's run mines and built mines all over the planet. The guy knows how to do this in his sleep. Uh, he has put together the plans in the past six or seven months that he's been employed by Lion One, and they have made outstanding progress. You know, while he's given them a green light to get this thing going. So, uh, what are the highlights in this news release? Well, you know, as we know, this is a fully permitted. Uh, mining operation. The Tuvatu license is permitted. Production permits are in place. All right, that's very important. The engineering and procurement of a, of a basically a mill, a gold recovery plant, is now underway. So they are uh, actually working out the designs, finalizing the, the designs, I should say, and they're going to have that uh, contract in place. And why? Because they want that thing delivered and installed sometime around the third quarter, 2023. So that they can actually uh, start gold production by the the end of Q4 2023. So end of 2023, that's their target date. They've also selected the international mining contractor for the project. In fact, they're mining. Okay, they're 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 when I say mining, they're blasting rock and putting the the new portal in. Um, people can see a picture of that in the news release. This is absolutely delightful to see the company make this move. Uh, this is, by the way, a secondary portal. There is a historic portal and decline on the in the project right now, but this one is a very important component uh, that's going to be needed for developing this, uh, you know, this near-term mine. Uh, they're also ordering, you know, the basic equipment like crushing equipment, and so forth, and it is now uh, shipping to site. Uh, they've also got most of their mining equipment uh, either selected, purchased, or ship being shipped to site. So these are all big items, but they're they're going along here. They're making this go. They've got their contracts for the water power tailings and explosives, as well as communications uh, secured or in progress. Okay, and and they've got, uh, you know, it's, these sound like a bit mundane things, but they're not. They got no. their e- e- ERP and uh, implementation sure. underway mm-hmm. for accounting and supply chain and all the things they need in Fiji. Look, this is a bold step. Uh, this you know the target here is to start with a 300-ton-per-day operation. Mm-hmm. But the key is this uh, operation can be scaled up, okay? This is a, a, a dynamic story that's going to grow, and they can easily scale this up to 1,000 tons per day. This is an outstanding outcome. I mean, you know, this co- company could go from uh, having a, a, you know, a nice high-grade resource and, you know, having we'll call it a small scale mine you know for lack of better term to actually what would turn out to be a very significant gold mine you know in in this day and age i mean a thousand tons a day uh you know we're talking three hundred sixty thousand tons a year 
Uh, if you get your grades in the neighborhood of 10 to 15 grams, you can see what that can deliver. Okay, this this could be a very significant gold operation very soon. Yeah. I would urge people to read the, the news release today and really look at it. I mean, it's just, again, it's a delight to be the first one to talk about this. But I think this is, uh, they're going to make it go. They're going to make it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a modular uh, operate, a mill that could be scaled up uh, depending on the uh, the ongoing exploration that will be, as I understand it, ongoing and a lot of deep drilling. And as you said, there's some other, uh, other uh, targets there as well. And could you give our listeners, just uh, in summing up here, what these alkaline systems – they can be absolutely huge. As you said, I think once you said on this show, as rare as hen's teeth is the way you put it. But there are a few of them operating around the world, and they're gigantic systems, high-grade systems. Could you just give our listeners a sense of the scale of some of these big alkaline deposits? Yeah, sure. Look, uh, Porgra is a great example. In fact, geology of Porgra is very similar to, to, to Vati. Porgra is in uh, New Guinea. It's part of uh, the same island chain, though. We're talking about here, uh, and it's uh, geologically it's identical. You have uh, similar loads. They're basically high grade fracture networks uh, that might be a meter up to maybe three meters wide. Um, they go down to the bowels of the earth. I mean, they, I think at Porgra they're chasing these things, you know, upwards of a kilometer and a half at this point, maybe even more. I think uh, these things just keep on going and going and going. Uh, Macassa in Ontario, even though it's a much, much older system, like geologically, it's, you know, the granddaddy of these types of systems. It's an immense deposit and it keeps on going. You know, they keep finding new mineralization on a routine basis. Uh, you have other systems here in Colorado. We have Cripple Creek, which I think between the, the initial high grade uh, that was mined by the old timers and now the low grade open pit, you know, we're approaching like 29 million ounces. Wow. Uh, you know, these things, they're interesting systems. Uh, you, you, you know, you get in there and you think, okay, you know, do we have a million ounces? And next thing you know, you got two. Next mm-hmm. time you look, you got four. Next time you look, you got eight. Yeah. And look, I mean, Vaticola is like that. Vaticola is about 35 or 40 kilometers northeast of Tuvatu. When Western Mining started mining at Vaticola, they didn't know how big it was. Mm-hmm. You know, is it a million ounces? Well, maybe. They, they, you know, this is a long time ago, 85 years. It was a fantastic high-margin deposit, but nobody knew that 85 years later it would have produced 7 million ounces of gold <laughs> and have 2 million ounces more reserves. I mean, they, you know, these are astounding systems. Yeah. So. Well, it's very exciting, no doubt about it. And so in summing up here, Quentin, what should investors be keeping their eyes on? I, mean, I guess there's going to be probably assays on an ongoing basis. In addition to this very important announcement today. Yes, look, there's going to be assay, a very steady stream of assays. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if they, they work to expand their drilling and assaying capacity in the not-too-distant future because once you go mining, you need to do that. And, uh, look, they have a quick turnaround. they got the lab right there in Fiji. Mm-hmm. So a long, steady stream of assays, probably we'll call it once a month. You should see news on that. And then there will be news around the development. I think mm-hmm. yeah, continual updates around development will be something that a lot of people should focus on and you know pay attention to because yeah. this is a great story. Absolutely. In addition to the depth potential that we're starting to be revealed uh, at the Tuvatu, they, as I understand, over a seven-kilometer strike, there's several other targets that look almost identical to what you've got there. So very exciting story, Quinn. 
It is. It is. And I just can't wait to see gold bars come out of this place. <laughs> yeah, me too. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, really great to get this update. That is it for this segment, but don't go away because coming back, Alistair McLeod will be with me to help us understand the actual cause of inflation and how you can profit from understanding what the real causes of inflation are. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Alistair McLeod. Lion Wine Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to tell you that Alistair McLeod is with me once again. Um, we'd all strongly suggest that you all go to Gold Money, uh, go to the Research Insights page at the goldmoney.com website. Uh, every Thursday, to pick up on what Alistair writes, he, he writes a very uh, in-depth, I think, very uh, you know, very, very good understanding of what is going on underneath the surface that drives prices and markets uh, as they uh, as they uh, perform. Uh, if you're tired of the sort of superficial stuff you hear every day from the mainstream media, that's a great source to go to. It's one I look forward to every Thursday. Uh, today, I'd like to focus on um, his article of January 20th titled "Understanding the Inflation Problem." So, thank you, Alistair, for being with us again. That's my pleasure, Jay. It's always so good to have you here with us. And um, you started out this article by saying, in recent weeks, inflation has become a major concern, a major economic concern. Nearly all the commentary emanating from monetary policymakers, economists, and the media is misguided, believing inflation is rising prices and must be addressed accordingly. Then you start out your discussion with some definitions that I think are key to understanding the actual cause of rising prices uh, throughout the economy. Uh, you made the point, uh, some of those, uh, some of those uh, definitions, uh, 
what is money, what is currency, what is credit, uh, maybe just give a quick definition of those items because they're not all the same thing. I know that's right. Um, uh, money is um, actually very rarely um, in circulation. Money is gold. It's nothing else. Uh, it's, it's gold. It is also physical silver. Um, and the reason it's money is because it is nobody's counterparty risk. Um, it has been trusted by um, uh, uh, you know, different civilizations, even civilizations not in contact with each other, not trading with, with each other for over 5,000 years. And the only time that it really disappears from our um, site is uh, when uh, the world is dominated by fiat currencies. Fiat currencies, um, basically currencies are um, either a representative of gold, if they're exchangeable for gold, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. or um, they, are, they are fit. And basically, uh, a currency is a counterparty risk uh, with a central bank. Um, and uh, credit um, is the counterparty risk that you have with um, a, a commercial bank. I mean, uh, bear in mind that if you have uh, deposit money uh, held at a commercial bank, that is an obligation uh, that uh, the commercial bank has to supply that currency to you uh, mm -hmm. as you draw down on that credit. In other words, um, it is not money, it is uh, an obligation, and uh, you are a creditor of the bank. So, um, really, that's the difference. So, uh, there is only one um, uh, form of money, and that is uh, metallic gold, metallic silver, um, and the rest is currency and credit. So, I guess you define gold as pure money then because of what you just said. It's uh, nobody else's liability, um, and it's, uh, it's, it's true and honest. It's not... Uh, because banks, uh, and, and then there's a the fractional reserve aspect of banking too, which uh, even uh, with a, a gold-backed monetary, a gold-backed uh, uh, paper system, they still we still have the fiat or the uh, you know the fractional reserve banking, which also uh, has its problems, right? Uh, yes, indeed. I mean, the way to look at a bank, a commercial bank, is it is a dealer in credit. Um, mm -hmm. It lends it lends money out at a higher rate uh, than it pays um, uh, than it pays its depositors, and not only that, but it can create uh, um, uh, credit uh, out of thin air. Um, mm -hmm. The very act of making a loan through double entry bookkeeping means that that loan is balanced, uh, at least in the commercial bank's books, with um, a deposit. It has to be through double entry. Bookkeeping. Mm -hmm. Now, um, you know the, the customer's account, uh, you know, who's borrowed money or, or, or agreed a loan facility with uh, a bank, will not necessarily see uh, that as appear as a deposit. They will see that only the loan side. But in the bank's books, it's quite clear that on the one side you have um, a loan, which is an asset on the bank's balance sheet, and on the other side, balancing it is a deposit, um, and that is owed by the bank. So, um, you know, this is the magic of double-entry bookkeeping, yeah. and it is that basis by which credit is created. Mm -hmm. Sleight of hand, essentially. And, uh, well, um, it's, been, it's been like that since the days of the goldsmiths, um, and it was formalized, uh, in effect, in the Bank Charter Act of um, 1844, um, uh, in, under English law, and that's been adopted by um, the world as a whole. I think very few people understand um, really that when they deposit money in the bank, they're making a loan to the bank. They think it's their money, 
So <laughs> it's, but legally it's not their money. It's just like when you buy stocks and you have your shares with your broker. It's not your, they're not your shares, they're your broker's shares. So, well, exactly. I, and, um, you know, our, our grandparents may well have queued up um, outside a bank, which they believe to be failing in order to withdraw uh, cash while they can. So, um, you know, that, that, if you like, is proof of the situation. So if inflation isn't rising prices, then what is it? Well, inflation is not rising prices. What inflation is, and it always has been um, under the uh, definition before um, uh, Keynesianism um, held sway, is an increase in the uh, uh, quantity of money and credit in, in, in circulating in the economy. It's as simple as that. And we have seen a massive expansion of um, uh, uh, currency and credit um, ever since the, the uh, uh, Lehman failure, and more particularly uh, since um, uh, March 2020, when Fed reduced interest rates to zero, its Fed funds rate to zero, and uh, started QE at the rate of 120 billion a month, and they've done over two trillion of expansion of base money, um, uh, uh, which has effectively reduced the purchasing power of each currency unit. Yeah, it's um. So we have this. So of course we've had inflation in terms of rising prices, rising financial markets, uh, and a redistribution of wealth that has been enormous as a result of the money being that form of inflation, money and credit being pumped into the system, right? Really destabilizing, yes, so, socially destabilizing. Uh, yes, that, that's, that's, that's right. I mean, there, there are winners and losers in this. And um, the winners basically are the banks that create the credit. So long as that credit, so long as the the credit, which in the form of loans to uh, third parties, um, uh, doesn't go wrong, um, you've got the central bank that benefits um, on behalf of the government as the issuer of the currency, and of course uh, the people who are robbed are the savers, um, who find that uh, the interest has been. Uh, um, depressed, if you like, by or suppressed by um, uh, monetary policy. Um, not only that, but uh, you find that as the money, the, the new money is spent into circulation, it drives up prices behind it. Mm -hmm. And the effect is that the people who get the money first get the most benefit. The people who get it last find that prices have already risen. So, uh, and these are typically the people that you would want to support in in, a, in an economy. You know, the the, um, the pensioners, uh, the unemployed, um, you know, the 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 manual labourers, the people who who don't have access to this money until it has already circulated and driven up prices. They are the losers in this. Well, we have we certainly have rising prices at, at beyond the uh, financial markets. Now we have them in the in the real economy. I think I've seen somebody. I think the general consensus is we're going to see a like a seven plus percent CPI print this week when it comes out here in the states, and we have interest rates at you know five percent below that on the ten year. Um, we were talking before we started on on the show, and you were suggesting that you believe the central bankers have finally. Now, given up the notion that this is transitory, but you don't think that they've come anywhere nearly uh, near to understanding the magnitude of the price rises that are in front of us. Do, did I understand you correctly? 
Uh, yes, yes, I think broadly that is the case. Uh, I would suspect that the central banks are now getting very worried about the situation because um, they obviously got it wrong. And I think their advice from their economists was wrong about the um, uh, prospects for inflation. Um, this is something which, um, you know, should never have happened. I mean, if central banks actually... Um, uh, understood more uh, what was driving prices and uh, it is the debasement of the currency that is doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, I mean, wh- whenever we've seen this in the past, we see it happening on prices first. I mean, go back to, um, you know, Roman times uh, uh-huh. when, uh, you know, prices uh, started rising in the wake of um, uh, the debasement of the coinage. Uh, you know, they were adding Uh, base metal into silver coins and the result was that the purchasing power of the silver coins was going down and down and down so what did the emperors try and do what they tried to do was to stop prices rising by putting out an edict um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, you know i mean it and then you get something um which is completely left field like um a harvest failure and then suddenly Mm -hmm. you've got everybody starving um Mm -hmm. on top of the debasement and we've lost uh alistair and the logistics disruption, you know, and I mean, it just so happens that with all the money printing that has been going on or the, the, the expansion of currency and credit, uh, that this has sort of come on top and has sort of made it real in terms of prices. And um, it's not going to go away. There's an awful lot of currency and credit inflation in the pipeline, which is yet to affect prices. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's partly because um, the channel in which uh, the expansion of currency has occurred has really been through uh, quantitative easing. So it's gone into institutional hands mm-hmm. and that has been invested in the market. Now, um, you know, when uh, existing stock has been bought, um, then that basically doesn't go into GDP. It just sort of goes around around the financial system, driving mm-hmm. up prices. If, on the other hand, it goes into new issues, then it leaks into the economy as that is spent by the issuer. So, um, you know, uh, there are differences, but basically uh, there's an awful lot of currency and credit inflation in the pipeline, which is yet to be reflected in the loss of purchasing power of of, of the dollar. Mm -hmm. And it's not just confined to the dollar. I mean, if you look at uh, other currencies, I mean, there are worse problems in Europe, for example, who've got themselves stuck on negative uh, deposit rates. And uh, uh, the problem there is that um, negative deposit rates have led to uh, an overblown repo market, which um, uh, I would guess at the moment is in excess of 10 trillion euros in size. Wow. Wow. Now, uh, as we go uh, positive uh, in interest rates, mm-hmm. that is going to start diminishing. Now, that amounts to a contraction of bank credit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so what's what's the ECB do? It's got to print um, at an even faster rate. Uh, through its asset purchase programs and COVID relief programs and all the rest of it. And Mm -hmm. as it is, they are basically buying all the debt issued by the Italian government, all the debt issued by the other pigs. You know, this is, I think that um, there is likely to be a huge great banking crisis on the back of uh, contracting bank credit within the Eurozone. And of course, even though U.S. banks are relatively well uh, uh, capitalized, mm-hmm. uh, this this is 
you know, this um, systemic uh, problem, um, you know, isn't going to be confined to the eurozone. It's going to affect us all, and it will certainly affect um, uh, U.S. dollar markets. Well, we saw Nixon uh, try price controls in the 70s, and and then uh, uh, ultimately, the you know, of course, that can't fix it because when you control prices, you get less when you need to get more of something, and so the prices, the the pressure builds, and <clears throat> ultimately, Paul Volcker then slammed on the brakes, stopped the money growth, and we had these enormous. It was very painful. I remember it well as a young man, and and. Uh, but it fixed things for a while, at least, and, and we had price stability for a long time afterwards, uh, at least uh, relative to what we had. Uh, you know, I think it was Martino Booth that mentioned uh, recently, I heard her say, the Fed, the Fed is in, a, in an impossible situation. No matter what they do, they're going to commit a policy error. They can't raise rates because of all the debt that's in the system, and yet they cannot not raise rates because, the rate, because of the inflation because of price rises. So I would I would guess, Alistair, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would guess you believe they will have a bias towards erring on the side of easing and, and inflation, right? I think that's, that, that is, is um, all but certain uh, because their mandate is basically to protect the economy rather than protect the dollar. Uh, I think it's as simple as that, um, and and while we're talking about the pros, you know, the prospects for um, uh, in interest rates. Um, mm-hmm. I think the first thing to understand is that interest rates are not the price of money. And this is where the Keynesians get it horribly uh-huh. wrong. They think that by regulating interest rates, they can regulate demand for, for, for currency. That is not the case. Interest rates are basically what the market expects to be compensated for um, in the context of the declining purchasing power of the currency over the period in which um, you know a lender um uh is without his 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 currency so uh-huh. you know if the market expects um uh, the purchasing power to depreciate by say five or six percent then it's going to require um at least five or six percent uh, return uh, for uh, the deposit to be sure. intact and that is before we consider counterparty risk and before we uh, uh consider the fact that they've actually sort of lost the facility to use that money and given that facility to someone else. So, um, you know, we, we're in the situation where rates are horribly suppressed. I mean, if you look just at the CPI, um, you know, we've got uh, the 10-year bond is yielding, as you say, about 1.95. Um, we're, we're sort of moving up towards 7% um, mm-hmm. uh, increase on the CPI. So already we've got strongly negative yields I mean, you know, this is a situation which can't um, uh, continue. Uh, and uh, I mean, you know, that's that's on on uh, government figures which are suppressed. I mean, if you look at um, uh, shadowstats.com, yep. mm-hmm. uh, they, you know, they reckon that the a more um, effective uh, number for the CPI is rising 15 percent. So, um, you know, this is an untenable situation. And I mean, I remember this or three uh, gilts issued with a percent coupon now imagine what happens um this time with more monetary inflation um uh, than we saw in the 1970s i mean is this going to stop at two percent uh, no. fed fund rate no it's not <laughs> well it took uh, what 15 17 percent on our first mortgage to stop the one in the 70s which was much less onerous as you say uh at that point in time 
So then, um, the, an Austrian concept, a crack-up boom. Could you could you describe what that what that is, what that means, uh, what the definition of, of a crack-up boom? The Austrians talk about these kinds of situations ending in a crack-up boom. Yes, indeed. I mean, basically, a crack-up boom is when uh, the public, uh, the general public, lose all faith in the currency. Um, when they lose faith in the currency, they will dump it for goods they don't even need just to get rid of it. And that is uh, basically the crack up boom. Um, we get milder versions of this when we see shifts, if you like, in consumer behavior. If consumers think that um, inflation means that things are going to cost more uh, tomorrow than they do today, then they're going to reduce their liquidity. So um, you've got, if you like, the sort of shift that you get in the more violent form with a crack-up boom, you see that developing in a, in, a, in, a, in a sort of milder version. But what it does is it will drive up prices at a faster rate than the increase in the quantity of money would uh -huh. suggest is reasonable. So this is, this is an important thing, which I think we are beginning to see, and I have no doubt that the central banks are terrified that this movement uh, might uh, gather momentum because then the whole thing gets beyond their control. Alistair, you mentioned that we're, you know, negative interest rates about uh, 5% here in the U.S. Uh, going on the 10-year, using the 10-year Treasury as a measuring stick. And yet, you know, that's normally very bullish for gold and silver and commodities. And I think commodities are doing well, but gold and silver are just sitting still pretty much. How do you account for that? Because we should be seeing a booming price in, in these monetary metals, I would think. I think the two things to say, um, and that is that markets are basically broken. So the idea that, um, you know, the, the current price of gold and the current price of silver, um, you know, is, is a realistic uh, market uh, value um, is, is, in, is very, very questionable. And, and the second thing I would say is that it is uh, very definitely in uh, the central bank's interest not to see uh, a rise in the price of gold because that sends a very, very clear signal that uh, the paper currency is uh, going down the toilet. So they will do everything they can through their agents, which are the large banks, uh, what I was saying, if you can, if, if uh -huh. I'm back online, as it were, yes. is that, um, you know, central banks do not want to see the price of, for the very simple reason that it sends a signal that their currency is falling in, in, in purchasing power. And mm -hmm. that is something they will not want to see. So they have, through their agents, sat on the gold and silver price. I mean, look at silver, for example. This is the number one commodity for the new environmentally, you know, non-oil, yeah. non-carbon uh, economy. And yet, um, you know, it's hardly gone anywhere. If you look at lithium, that's gone up, what, four or five times yeah. in the last year? Look at uranium. That's more than doubled. I mean, so the answer really, really is that silver is just completely mispriced on industrial, on an industrial basis alone before you consider uh, the, the the monetary qualities of the metal. Well, so I, I would say that, I mean, you know, we, I think we are on the verge of coming out of a long period of consolidation. And I think there's a lot of catching up to do. And the problem, I think, for anyone contemplating uh, holding gold and silver is they've got to hold it for the right reason. You've got to have physical gold, physical silver, which you will spend when paper currencies fail. Now, if you place a, um, you know, a high uh, 
likelihood on that failure occurring, then have lots of physical gold and physical silver. If you think it's a distant likelihood, at least have some as an insurance policy. All right. All right. Well, we're just about out of time. I wanted to ask you, we, we, you know, we know now that uh, inflation, rising prices at least, uh, are caused by an excessive amount of money and credit in the system. What are the chances that, uh, that these guys will, you know, wake up and, and smell the coffee, so to speak? The policy Zero. <laughs> Zero, Jay. Um, they can't change course because they do not have the mandate to do so. They will continue with their Keynesian beliefs until they are completely disproved. So this is why you have a crisis first, which is overdue, by the way, because, you know, it's like ringing a gong regularly. Um, banking crisis or, uh, you know, recessions or property crisis, whatever, is, a, is, is every 10 years, give or take a year or two. And it's now, what, 13 years since we had the Lehman failures. So the next yeah. one is overdue and uh, is shaping up to be major. And it's interest rates that will probably tip it and probably from outside America. And my guess is... Uh, likely to be from the eurozone. Interesting. Well, we'll have to. We'll be certainly keeping an eye on on things and uh, checking in with you from time to time to see what your thoughts are. And uh, I guess we want to be prepared as much as possible uh, for uh, for the for that event when it when it comes. Uh, thank you so much, Alistair, for being with us once again, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again sometime soon. Well, folks, that Bye. is uh, that is all the time we have this week. Uh, next week, Frank Holmes will be joining me. Uh, he's uh, started a new ETF. This has to do, uh, it's called the Global Sea and Sky Cargo ETF. It's a New York Stock Exchange, SEA is a symbol. And Quentin Henning will be with me once again to talk about Novo Resources to give us an update on that company that's been a long time sponsor of this show. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Firefox Gold is exploring in Finland in the midst of an exciting new gold rush. Firefox successfully drilled high-grade and visible gold in 2021 and is now active at four prospective projects with plans to drill continuously through the first half of 2022. The company's strong international leadership team, combined with its Finland-based exploration specialists, are driving the company to discovery, and the stage is set for Firefox to identify multiple new gold deposits. Firefox Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol FFOX and on the OTCQB at FFOXF. Go to firefoxgold.com to subscribe for updates.